wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look. An empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed, you're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull out our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're gonna be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Ah! Fight, fight, fight! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. The bathroom one's real, especially if you have a dog. Does anybody have a dog that won't let you go to the bathroom? Hey, moms, there is no way we could possibly appreciate you enough. There just is no way. Um, I, I love how God sometimes defaults to the, the picture of a mom's love in order to describe his own. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you to me as a hen gathers her chicks. And the prophet Jeremiah says, no baby at his mother's breast was ever loved more than I love you. Moms, God uses you to show us himself and we can't thank you possibly enough. We can't appreciate you possibly enough, but we want to try and do it a little. So you didn't come to church on Mother's Day thinking you weren't going to be asked to stand up so we can cheer for you. So would you stand up for just a moment so we can do that? Come on, ladies. I know. Please do that. Yes. 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 There's not enough that we could do, but we are going to do something a little later. So when you leave today, moms, normally we have some salted caramels for you and, and some flowers. This year we thought we'd change it up. We have special handcrafted raspberry scones for you when you leave today. So when you go out through the foyer, ladies, please let us bless you with that before you leave. Fellas, if you see any other guys reaching for a scone, just go ahead and tackle him in the foyer. Make sure he goes down, doesn't get to that. But I hope, I hope that today will be filled with a sense of satisfaction, moms, because you deserve it. And, and I also, I want to I pray today in just a moment. I want to ask you to pray with me, uh, kind of for two groups of people. I, uh, first of all, it's just on my heart to pray for the brokenness of so many Seattle Mariners fans this weekend. I mean, 
it's tough. It's a tough season, and uh, we want. But but on a serious note, you know, uh, Rhonda and I uh, walked through the odyssey of ten years of infertility, and we know what that feels like. And uh, sometimes Mother's Day was was hard, and so I want to pray for those of us who may be feeling that kind of grief and and reaching for the hope of of knowing that someday you'll be able to be a mom. And I want to pray for you this morning. And then I also, uh, you know, we have a number of friends, a number of moms who are without kids that they lost this morning. And on Mother's Day, I know, we know that, that that can be really tough. And we want to pray for you. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us hope that we will see our lost kids again. And I often share with my friends that the only thing that's going to make it better is when you see them alive again. And because of what Jesus has done, we will. So would you join with me in in bowing your heads and praying together? Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of our moms that comes from your hand. The whole idea of motherhood, Lord, that was your idea. That was your creation, your invention. And, and, and you gave moms to us that we might know your heart. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We, we appreciate that so much this morning. Help us to know how to honor our moms, to, to love and appreciate them, and to, to help them feel uh, the gratitude that we feel. We pray for that. And, and then this morning, Lord Jesus, we lift up moms that are grieving or who are hurting this morning. And we pray your touch on their hearts. Help them to know that that ahead of them lies all joy, the joy of children restored, God, and ultimately the joy of knowing what it feels like to be a mom. We pray for, for miracles of restoration, for healing of infertility, for your perfect plan to be worked out. And we lift up those who are grieving this morning, their moms. We thank you for your grace. We ask you to speak to us through your word this morning, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you do have plans to take care of her because she sure, sure deserves it. If, if any of you find that your husband's uh, attention to you today was insufficient, just text me and I'll call them personally and take care of that. But I'm not going to tell you my number, so there we are. Hey, just a few announcements this morning, just a few things to share with us. One uh, is that coming up this Friday and Saturday, Uh, Friday evening, Saturday morning, is our Love and Respect Marriage Conference. And this is a tremendous opportunity for you to invest in your marriage. I want to encourage you to to seriously consider doing that. Fellas, I want to challenge you to say to your bride as the leader of your home, say, hey, honey, I want to invest in our marriage. Uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, the Love and Respect curriculum hosted by Ty and Diane Rogel have done a wonderful job with this. They know it inside out. And, And this curriculum is nuts and bolts. This is practical everyday stuff. In, in all my years, I haven't come across a curriculum that's more practical than this one for building into your marriage. So I want to invite you to consider investing in your marriage Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, everything's paid for. There's no cost. Your neighbors, your friends are invited. Uh, it'll be a terrific time. So that's coming up this Friday. You can sign up in the guest center, scan the QR code on the seat in front of you, call the church, or if you forget, just show up. Uh, but that's happening Friday and Saturday night. And then that following weekend, not this weekend, but the next weekend uh, on Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday morning is our men's conference, Fellas Manpower. Again, you can sign up for that. Find out more through the church website. Um, But that's right around the corner, just a couple of weeks away. More talk about that next week. 
And then, it's hard to believe, but we are already starting to close in on our summer camps. And we're starting the sign-ups for our kids and our teenagers. Uh, many of you may not know, but uh, Zach Cash, Zach, stand up and just wave your hand, would you? Yep, yep, yep. Zach Cash was our youth pastor here uh, at MRCC for many years. And now he serves our network and leads all of the ministries, youth ministries in Washington and Northern Idaho. And he puts together a lot of those camps. And so, those are right around the corner. It's not too early to start signing up your kids. Um, you can go to the church website, find out the details about how to do that. And also, maybe this year God would lay on your heart to uh, serve as a cabin counselor in one of those camps. If you take that week off, we'll cover all your expenses. Every year I hear from people who set aside a week to serve teenagers or kids and how deeply God touches them through that experience. And so you have an opportunity to do that. You can contact Pastor Allison for kids, Pastor Josh for youth, and we'd be thrilled to include you in that. And then, as always, uh, a last word about that. If the cost of camp is a challenge for you and your kids, please let us know. We will work with you. Scholarship your kids and your grandkids. Make sure that they can get to camp. So, you know, it's weird to be talking about summer camp. It feels like spring hasn't even got here yet. <laughs> Have you noticed this? It just like rains endlessly and somebody out there sinning. And when I find out who you are, and get that stopped because I'm ready for a little sunshine. But uh, summer camps are just around the corner. Grab your Bible this Mother's Day, if you would, and open them to Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning with verse 21. Um, and this morning, God wants to talk to us about, about mom's love, but kind of in an odd, sideways way. Let me begin by asking you this. Are, are you one of those people who loves math? Raise your hand. You're a weirdo, man. Why? I, I, some people actually just love math. Most of us don't, if we're honest. Um, you know, we do it when we have to, but we avoid it whenever we can. Uh, I remember for the first time discovering that people could love math when I had a buddy who, uh, in ninth grade, suddenly left school and, and went to MIT <laughs> to start his... Uh, education there. And Andrew was just that smart and that into math. I still hear from him from time to time in Facebook, and he still has that incredible love of math. Most of us don't. And as I was reflecting on that this week, and you know that I have no shame, I came across some math jokes I thought I would share with you this morning. So... If you have no patience for my jokes, just check out your phone or something for a moment. But you heard about the farmer who had a talking sheepdog. And after the dog got all the sheep in the pen, he reports into the farmer and he said, um, hey, all 40 sheep accounted for. The farmer said, but wait, we only have 36 sheep. The sheepdog says, yeah, I know, but I rounded them up. Yep. You heard about the mathematician who was afraid of negative numbers? He'll stop at nothing to avoid them. What do you call a man who spends the whole summer at the beach? A tangent. Why did the chicken cross the Mobius strip to get to the same side? I'm going to stop now, all right, because it's not going anywhere, but... Sometimes, if we're honest, friends, sometimes life feels like just a kind of grinding math over and over and over again. 
pay the bills, figure out some way to try and pay the bills next month or next week, wondering how much time we have. Do we have enough time? Is there enough time to get done what needs to get done? Calculating how to get even or how to get ahead by some mathematical equation. Life can very easily degenerate into a kind of grinding math. And sometimes we can even fall into the trap of thinking about our relationship with God in terms of of math. Have we done enough? Have we balanced the scales? Have we made up for our deficits? Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking of our relationship with God as an equation, as just mathematics. We hear God's word say things like in Galatians chapter 6, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. There's a math to life. Whoever sows to please the sinful nature will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And sometimes we hear that and we think only in terms of minus signs and plus signs and Do I have enough plus signs to cancel out my minus signs? And pretty soon our relationship with God becomes just an equation. And sometimes spiritual leaders reinforce that idea. They sort of reduce theology to mathematics. Whenever somebody does that, I I think of what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. He said this. This is worth thinking about. He said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life, and yet you refuse to come to me, the one about who the scriptures speak. Wow. He was challenging the mathematicians, the religious mathematicians of his day. But through the gospel, through the cross, God introduces a new kind of math the math of grace. And that's what he wants to talk to us about this morning. We're going to listen to Jesus tell a story in a moment. And it's about the math of grace. Like Romans chapter 5 reminds us, verses 20 to 21. Listen to the math language. The law was added so that the trespass or sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, just as the equation comes to its natural conclusion, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's that's a new kind of math. God wants to talk to us about this this morning. God's math doesn't mean sin doesn't matter, but it does mean that there's something that matters more, that the love of God is more like the love of a mom than mathematics. And that's what Jesus is thinking about in chapter 18 of Matthew when Peter comes to him with a question. Let's follow this story along together. Verse 21, chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel. The Bible says this. Then Peter, good old Peter, better man than me, better man than us, but a man with his challenges. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? That's a math question. 
It's the kind of math question that all of us ask at some point in our lives. Sometimes we ask it many times. How many times shall I forgive my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, my neighbor, my friend? How many times shall I forgive? How many times does it take? God, how much are you asking from me? How, how do I keep up with your math? And, and Peter in this moment is asking that kind of question, how to calculate his way through a problem. And he's actually got a great heart in this moment because he says, how many times? Up to seven times. You know, seven times doesn't seem like a lot until you think about someone who's hurt you in a significant way and what it would be like again and again and again to forgive them for that hurt or that betrayal. You know, somebody says that the worst thing you can do to someone is to fall short of their expectations, and all of us have felt that with somebody. And then we've also heard God's call to forgive. Peter feels all that. He knows all that. And so he says, up to seven times, Lord, where's the limit? What's the, the parameters of this equation? Like you and me, he finds his life full of, of people who sometimes betray or hurt or, or offend him. And, and he really wants to do the right thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking the question. And so he comes to Jesus with what he thinks is a, a gracious answer. But he has no idea how far God's math actually goes. Verse 22 tells us that Jesus answered him and said, Peter, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. Now, there's something that we want to understand here in this moment. Jesus' answer includes a little Jewish colloquialism that's easy to miss. When Jesus says 77 times, he doesn't just mean 70 times more than what Peter suggested. In other words, Peter, you've got a seven there, add another seven to it. When you get to there, you're good. No, the number seven in Jewish context is the number of perfection. It's, it's the number of eternity and Jesus is using that colloquialism to say, Peter, as many times as it takes to restore, forgive, as many times as it takes. He's not talking about an equation, but an attitude. He's talking about a radically different attitude. Forgive as many times as you need to. Let your grace have no limits, not seven times, although that's generous but 77 times. Now, friends, don't get, sometimes we get crazy with what Jesus is saying. We forget that it comes. He's not saying if your neighbor murders three of your kids, go ahead and forgive them to murder the other three. That's not the idea here. But he's talking about all that everyday stuff that collects and builds up in our hearts. All that stuff that requires us to make a choice, a decision about forgiveness. And the Lord is saying, let your grace have no limits. As soon as I say that, I realize that's scary. Because when you're in the middle of that moment with someone, when you're in the middle of that cycle of hurt, it's scary to set them free again. Do you recognize this mathematical symbol? It's, it's 
the mathematicians among us will recognize it as it's a symbol for pi. It represents what's called a mathematical constant, the number pi. And, and, and pi is the technically the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter, whatever. It's also commonly abbreviated as 3.14159, but that's not the whole truth. What pi really is, and the reason it has its own symbol, is it, it's what mathematicians call a transcendent number. No matter how many times you keep calculating it, you never get to a resolution. You never get to a repeating final sequence. It just goes on and on forever. In fact, it's what we call a mathematical mystery. It shouldn't be. Like so many things, uh, a great creator God has hidden throughout creation that transcend our best efforts to understand it. Pi is a transcendent number. And Peter thinks he's asking a simple question with a, a simple answer. And Jesus' response is, Peter, pie. <laughs> I know you think three times is good enough, but it's actually pie. It just goes on and on and on. And then Jesus does something really important for us to understand. He turns an equation into a story. We're always looking for the, the answers to equations. Jesus takes Peter's hunger for an equation and turns it into a story. Lots of us need our equations turned into stories. Because in the end, our lives are defined not by an equation, but by our story. And recognizing that, Jesus changes the way Peter's thinking about this situation. Listen to what he says. He tells a story. Verse 23, it begins. The Lord says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. There's that math language again. Wanted to settle accounts. Do you have any accounts that you'd like to settle? Most of us can probably think of a few. That's how our world operates by the math of accounts, accounts that we want to settle, accounts that we want to get even on, accounts that we want to get ahead of. Our world operates by the math of profit and loss, speculation and risk assessment, amortization rates and actuarial tables. And in Jesus' story, a man is about to be measured by the math of his life. And here's how the story goes, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's a lot of money. Scholars tell us that that's roughly the equivalent of about 30 years of salary and wages. What do you make in 30 years? That's what this guy owed. It occurred to me when I realized that, that it's kind of like a mortgage. This is kind of like he owes his entire mortgage. And the Bible says, Jesus said, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's how the math of our world works. You make your bed, you lie in it. You build up consequences, you have to live through them. You have to deal with them. Actions have consequences, and the, the math is ruthless. But Jesus is telling this story to teach us, to teach Peter and you and me, that in God's math, 
It goes far beyond our equations. You know, one of my favorite movies, there's a few movies where if they're on, if I just happen to walk by a TV and they're on, I'll probably sit down and not move till it's over. I just get sucked in. Ocean's Eleven is one of those. But the other one is The Martian. You know the movie The Martian? Matt Damon's the astronaut. He goes to Mars and gets stranded there and has to survive there. And during that whole time of his solitary struggle for survival, he's constantly using math to make it through another day. He calculates everything from his oxygen needs to his water needs to his ability to recycle what he has and and create what he doesn't from mixing chemicals. He figures out how to grow potatoes on Mars by mixing his own poop with water and this whole thing. It's just amazing. He's doing this math all over the place. And at the end of the movie, when he finally gets back to Earth, and now he's a kind of a senior astronaut teaching younger astronauts, he's in the classroom, and he, he tells them, he says, guys, doing math is the key to survival. Now, The Martian is one of my favorite movies. It's also a big, fat lie. <laughs> because here's the reality of the movie. It's not about how much math he did. The fact is that a bunch of people, his fellow astronauts, make a decision to risk their lives against the odds to go back and get him, and that's why he gets rescued. It's not because of his math. He could math his head off, and he's still dead unless they start to make a story unless they choose to go back and rescue him. It's the same with God's grace. And that's why Jesus is telling the story. The movie really isn't a celebration of math. It's a celebration of grace. And Jesus' story is about the fact that God's love is more than math. It's extravagant and sometimes unreasonable. It doesn't add up. It's like a mom's love for her kids. I wonder, are you trying to calculate your way to eternal life? So many people are. Do I have more plus signs on my scales than I have minus signs? And how do I make sure I'm ahead in that way? Well, the reality is, just like Matt Damon, you can do all the math you want. And it's only a matter of time until disaster happens, unless some people come back to rescue you. Jesus is telling this story so that Peter will understand that. Now, in the story, look at the next verse, verse 26. The scripture says, the servant fell on his knees before the master, realizing that his math was condemning him. And he said, be patient with me. And then catch this. I will pay back everything. You see, the servant figures he can make the equation work. He's still caught up in earthly math, and we're often just like him. We try to balance the scales by offering to make up our own deficits. And we're, we're, we're so sure of ourselves, so unhumble sometimes, so confident in our essential goodness and blind to our essential selfishness that we offer to pay off the debt we owe ourselves, just like this man did. When you think about his offer you know, it's kind of dishonest. Does he even have 30 more years left to make 10,000 talents apart from what it takes to sustain his own life, to pay the master back? There's something disingenuous about this offer. Just as there is sometimes about our approach to God. God, I'll make it right. God says, hey, in your math, you can't do that. Once it's said, it can't be unheard. Once the milk is spilled,
back in the jar the same way. And that's the reality of our families and our marriages and our friendships and our broken friendships. To try and fix them on our own is sometimes a conceit. This servant is living inside of that conceit, trying to balance their own scales. But here's where the story gets wonderful. Verse 27, Jesus said, the the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. In other words, the master in the story, who Jesus says is the king of heaven, thus the reference to the kingdom of heaven, the master in the story chooses to just take a loss. That's what he does. He says, I'm just, I'm going to take a loss. Let me ask you as your, your fellow believer, when was the last time you just took a loss? When was the last time you said, you know what? That person can't make this right, but I'm just going to take a loss. I'm just going to extend grace. I'm just going to let their ledger be wiped clean. He takes a loss. May I be so bold this morning as to point out that this model doesn't fit the economics of those who think free enterprise is the answer to everything? God's no socialist, but neither is he a capitalist. He believes in the math of grace and he will judge us all by it. Actually, Jesus is telling that story because he's about to challenge Peter and he's about to challenge you and me. The math of grace is a wonderful thing if you're willing to receive it. Not so wonderful if you aren't. In fact, it can condemn you more thoroughly than any earthly equation ever could. You see, friends, God's grace is an equation that is bigger than you can comprehend and goes beyond your ability to solve. In fact, it's equally as much a story as it is an equation. You know, half the job of a pastor is to help people recognize when the Bible is misunderstood. And there's a great example of that in a verse you're probably familiar with. It's quoted all the time. It's from the prophet Isaiah. It's found in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. And here's what Isaiah says. You probably heard this before, seen it on a meme or a bumper sticker. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, we hear that and we think God is saying, hey, I'm a lot smarter than you are. So I'm working all these things out beyond your understanding. So just don't try to understand. Often those two verses are quoted as if that's what they're saying. But that pulls them out of their context. When you read the two verses preceding those two, you find out that what God is saying is a conclusion. Here's the whole passage. Here's the context for what he says when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. It's found in verses six and seven. God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The evil man his evil thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. Catch this. And he will have mercy on him. And our God, he will freely pardon him. So when Isaiah then goes on to say, my ways are not your ways, my thought, he's saying that the means of my grace are greater than you can understand. They're beyond your ability to grasp. You say it can only go this far. I know how far it can go. You say you can only be forgiven seven times. I know you can be forgiven 70 times, seven times. God is saying, my grace, the calculus, the math, 
of my love for you is like mom's. It goes way beyond what you imagine. And what he's encouraging us to do is grasp that, to understand that. I love the way that Philip Yancey expresses this idea. He puts it this way. He says, we must understand that God loves people because of who God is, not because of who they are. This servant is is a wicked man, blind to him, his own sins, blind to his own selfishness. And it's going to come out here in a moment. And, and nevertheless, the master cancels all his accounts. It's an amazing moment. Church, understand, there is nothing you or I can do to make God love us more or love us less. When your account is way in the red, his love for you hasn't changed at all. All that is in question is your willingness to receive it. This servant, he's actually unwilling to receive it. Instead of being humbled, the story goes on to describe how he continued living by this world's math. Jesus tells the story this way, but when this servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, so much less than 10,000 talents, it's not worth uh, imagining. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees. Sound familiar? And he begged him and he said, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Here's that cycle that makes our world the mess it is. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But this servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Even though his own debt had been canceled by his master, he still refused to embrace this new way of life. Instead, he insisted on living by the very math that originally condemned him. The Bible says that that became the warning in this story. Church, understand that what God offers us in Christ is not justice, but mercy. Our world is filled with people who say, no justice, no peace. And every time I hear that, I just think, and that never works. It leads nowhere. It will not solve anything or satisfy anyone. The Bible says justice and law came through Moses, grace and truth. Mercy comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, the old math isn't the last word. It's only meant to lead us to the new math. About five years ago, scientists at the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Observatory, whatever, confirmed something amazing called, maybe you heard about this, gravitational waves. Now, most of us are not nerd enough to grasp that this discovery is on the level of discovering that the earth is round or that the sun, that we rotate around the sun. I mean, this is a, a big, big deal. It, in fact, confirms something that a, a fuzzy-haired patent clerk from Germany, who you might recognize, predicted 100 years ago. But when he predicted it, most of the world refused to believe in his math. But again and again and again, his math is proving to be the last word. When he rejected it, uh, when he predicted it, most of the world refused to believe that time and space are relative, that gravity 
could be a wave. But his math has proved true at every turn. In fact, if you ever use the GPS on your phone to get somewhere, you're actually working from Einstein's math. And this is important because the point of Jesus' story is that God expects us to give grace the same way we have received it. Extravagantly, like a mother's love. You and me have been given grace by free, for free, and now the only question is whether we'll pass it on. And Jesus says to Peter and to me, that's a serious question. Jesus' story ends with a warning, and we're almost done this morning. Jesus' story goes on to say this. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. That is the, the behavior of this wicked servant. And then the master called the servant in, and he, he said, you wicked servant. I, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Hey, you want to live by the old math? Here's what it looks like for you. Here's how it turns out. Here's where it ends. And then just to kind of put the stamp on it, Jesus says to me, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I wonder if, if you're living this morning by the math of trying to get even, of trying to get back, trying to get ahead. And, and if in that you've completely forgotten that on the cross, Jesus paid for your sins and mine, and that on the cross, the Father allowed his Son to suffer and die to save us. When we remember that, we discover the ability to give the grace that we've been given, and that's the point. You know, because of Einstein's and others' new math, we've learned how to use something called nuclear power. And in a best-case scenario, nuclear power is actually a wonderful thing. Nuclear power supplies about 12% of the world's energy today, and there are uh, plans in many countries to dramatically increase that. And, and that can be a good thing because when it works properly, it is much cleaner and better for our environment than coal or wood or oil or gas. But nuclear power requires incredible care, requires incredible reverence. It can be a blessing, but it must be feared. And God's grace is like that. That's what Jesus is teaching us. This story is a warning. This is why John Newton wrote in that great hymn, Amazing Grace, these words, which we've sung a thousand times. He said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Do you realize how great a debt you've been delivered from you see, here's, here's the last point I want to make this morning. It, it's when we know that we have received that grace that we become able to give it. You say, oh, I just can't get over the debt my brother owes me. That's because you have forgotten the debt you've been forgiven. It's in the moment when we get in touch with that where we find the power. It sets us free to forgive somebody else. G.K. Chesterton said, no man knows how great a sinner he is till he's tried really hard to be good. And it's in those moments that we become aware of the greatness of our debt. And then when we let God forgive it, we become able to forgive others. It changes us. 
me finish with a couple of stories, one a little longer, one short. Many years ago, uh, Ron and I, as young newlyweds, were privileged to be able for the first time to buy a house. Now, that was a big deal because in my family, I was the first person ever to own a home. And it wouldn't have happened if the VA hadn't come in and made it so easy. So thank you to the Marine Corps. Well, we bought a house. It was a, you know, a early 70s rambler in suburban Lacey. So we're not talking about, you know, Bill Gates' place, right? But I felt like the king of the world. I own a home. Wow. A few years went by and it came time to sell the home. And, and so we put it on the market and weren't getting a lot of activity. It certainly wasn't 2022. And uh, finally, a buyer came along and, and the buyer was willing to meet our price. And so we were excited. We were ecstatic. And we thought, okay, last minute, we're going to be able to sell the home and move. And um, guy came back a couple weeks later and he says, man, I, I can't get anybody to, to finance me. I can't get anybody to write me a mortgage. And we get to talking, and it turns out that this guy has been a contractor getting paid under the table for years. He's crooked. He's not been paying his taxes. And so as a consequence, he can't show any income, so the bank won't give him a mortgage. And then he said to me, would you, would you write me a contract yourself? He says, Here, here's what we'll do. He says, here's what I'm proposing is that um, for the next two years, uh, I'll pay you what would be my monthly house payment as rent. And then if within those two years, uh, you know, I'm able to get financing and close the deal, then what I paid you will count as the, towards the, the, the purchase price. And then I'll just continue from there with my mortgage. And then he said, if I fail to do that, you just keep the two years of rent. I'm out, and you can resell the house. My realtor said, oh, Greg, this is a great deal. You know, this is perfect. There's no way you can lose in this deal. So he said, let's do that. So we did. We made this arrangement. We moved away. A couple of years go by. Gets up on that deadline, and, and we're not hearing anything from this guy. He's been sending his monthly payments on time usually. And uh, we're not hearing it. We said, so finally, the week that it's coming due, we called him up. We said, hey, what's the deal? You know, it's supposed to be by the end of the week, have this done. He says, oh, man, I, I still can't get financing. He and his wife, their small son, I he says, I still can't get financing. And I'm thinking, so I can just keep everything you gave me and resell the house and send you out. But there's this little voice in the back of my head saying, Greg, remember how I treated you. I remember the grace that I showed you. I thought to myself, okay. I said, well, all right, let's make a deal here. I said, uh, let's extend the contract another six months. And he says, I think I can get financing by that. I said, great. Well, this is same terms, everything just the same. Six months will go by. Then you can buy the house. We'll, we'll move on. It'll be good. Six months go by. We get to that last week. And once again, we're not hearing anything. We call him up. Hey, I haven't got it done yet. I still can't find financing. Well, at this point, we realize, you know, this guy's still not up front <laughs> with a lot of things. Our friends said to us, oh, this is your deal. God's blessing you. You can now keep all the money he's paid you, foreclose on him, kick him out, resell the house. It's a blessing. You'll get ahead. And by a certain math, they were right. But in my heart, in Rhonda's heart, we were feeling something different. We were feeling, wow, how many times has God been gracious with us? How many times has he been patient with us? So we went back to him again. We said, hey, 
all right, let's do this one more time. Another six-month extension. Do you think you can get financing? We really need to know because we can't buy another house till this closes. We said, can you, can you do this? You know? He says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Okay, we're going to extend it six months again. Yeah, to the last week of that second six months. Starting to get scary now. And he contacted us and he got financing and he bought the home. Now, there are friends who said to us, God was trying to bless you and you missed it. You could have kept all that money. God could have blessed you. You need it. But can I tell you that in my heart, I am so glad that when I go to judgment and stand before my Father God, I can say, we were gracious. God, just like you were gracious to me, we were gracious to them. It doesn't add up in the world's math. For almost three years there, we couldn't buy another home. But I'm glad for that now. I'm glad for the way we just See, that's what the math of God's grace does to us. It changes us. And that, I have no regrets. No regrets at all. Neither of us do. And God continues to bless. That's why Jesus told Peter this story. Let me finish with one more small story. Remembering that it's when we, we receive that grace that we find the power to give it. History tells about a, a soldier in Napoleon's French army in 1810. He deserted in wartime. He ran away, quit the army, threw away his uniform. And he was caught, eventually brought back. And because it was wartime, the punishment was to be shot, was death. To desert in wartime is punishable by death. It so happens that he was the only son of his mother and she came to plead for his life. First to his commanding officer and then because a new law code was being established in France, ultimately she got to appeal to Napoleon, the emperor himself. And she said, I'm, I'm begging for mercy for my son. The emperor said, well, ma'am, he's a deserter. He doesn't deserve mercy. And she said to him, if it were deserved, it wouldn't be mercy. See, that's God's math. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. If only we're willing to receive it. God wants to teach you how to forgive yourself so that you can forgive somebody else so that you can become the kind of person who lives in God's man and knows God's satisfaction and joy. We don't regret missing out on three years of house payments. We rejoice that we got to be gracious. God wants that freedom for us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for challenging us. God, teach us that you forgive us 70 times, seven times that your patience and grace for us is at least as great as our mom on her best day. Help us to know that we've been given your grace, that we might be free to give it away. Holy Spirit, speak to us about who we need to set free, just like that servant didn't, that we might know your joy. We pray for that this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Now, to honor your mother, it's one of the commandments, the commandment that comes with a promise. So today, can I encourage you to take that step? Maybe there's a disconnect with your mom. 
by faith, obey God's command to honor her. And watch what he does in the middle of that. That's the power of grace. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Happy Mother's Day. Have an awesome Sunday. Mm.